What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Fortress of Comictude podcast. My name is Tyler. Hi, Mary. We are joined today by a very cool guest again to bring you some more awesome comic, you know, uh, information. I guess. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to do something different, and I just I, I like lost some more indie comics for your interest. Yes. Anyways, we have Mike here. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing We're good. doing really, really well. So Mike writes a comic book called Miskatonic High, which yes. is really, really cool. Um, they had they just launched their Kickstarter for issue four. You guys have already successfully, you know, kickstarted the first three issues, and I mean, issue four was funded like what immediately? Pretty much. Yeah, about <laughs> half an hour in. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, I mean. First of all, what's what's that got to be like to you, for you guys to not only be four issues in and people still care, but I mean to fund it that fast? To, to be perfectly honest, you know, when we first started this thing, we were like, oh man, you know, if we can get 15 people to buy this, this thing is going to be a major success. And, you know, now it's it's gone crazy. We've got the last one, I think, had over 500 people back us. And, you know, but every time the night before we launch it, you know, I, I email to Ryan, who's the artist and the other co-creator on this. And I say, you know, God, I just hope 15 people back this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, especially in comics, man, to to sustain. I mean, even four issues in is kind of an achievement because, like, I mean, if anyone, you know, when you follow comics, you know that number one usually does pretty well. But then mm-hmm. you'll see a pretty significant drop off by issue two, and by the time you're hitting issue four, you're usually you know maybe a quarter or less of of those people that came on for issue one. Well, yeah, and I think you see that even more in the indies nowadays. Oh you know, yeah, with with a with a lot of us on Kickstarter, what happens is the creators get it. You know, maybe they're successful, maybe they're not on Kickstarter, and then they have to go off and pay the artist have the artist do all their work you know pay the colorist have the colorist do all their work maybe they're doing the lettering maybe they're hiring a letterist a letterer to do it you know so by the time you're finally done it's like six months have gone by before the issue's done and you've you've killed a lot of your momentum there and we did it a little differently we already had pretty much six issues done before we even launched our first kickstarter nice so we can do it yeah, so we can just bang them out like every two months. We're we're putting up the next one. So you guys kind of like self-funded it up front, and then were able to kind of just reimburse yourselves. Is that how you guys kind of went about doing it? Yeah, so it's one of those things where you know it it kind of depends on who creates the comic. You know, for a lot of comics, the writer creates it, and then they go and hire an artist. They hire the letterer. They hire the colorist. They they hire all the people and. For us, you know, we were partners in this, you know, we we both own 50-50 on it, you know, we both plot the whole thing, we both talk about character, we both really work on the whole thing, and so we have a real sense of ownership, so it really wasn't that hard to, to self-fund it to get it, to get those files done. Mm-hmm. So normally, uh, typically what we'll do the first time that we have a new guest on this show, we do what we call Comic Book Secret Origins, which is okay. basically... Your, you know, kind of personal story of how you got into comic books, either as a kid or a teenager or whatever. And what is some of kind of like the early stuff that you read that really made you like comics and get into comics? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I I was actually just talking about this with with some friends of mine. And, you know, I got into comics through TV, if that makes sense. Oh, Um, yeah. It does. When I was a kid in the the 80s, uh, the the thing that blew my mind was Robotech. It was the the first anime series I'd ever seen. Okay. And it was unlike unlike anything I'd ever seen. I mean, this is a war story being told, you know, for kids. And completely blew my mind. And, you know, at my local grocery store, they had the old Comico Robotech comic adaptations. I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. So started picking them up and reading them and, you know, then I started to see what else was there. And, you know, Spider-Man was a cartoon that that I liked. So I picked up the Spider-Man issues and, you know, Spider-Man was friends with the X-Men. So I started picking up the X-Men issues. And next thing you know, I had a full blown comic, you know, addiction. (laughs) That's how it starts, man. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It always it always starts with like 
one character usually like it'll be like oh like i like like say batman right and then it's like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna start reading batman and then you're like okay well there's like three batman titles out there so i'll read all three (laughs) of those and then you're like okay well batman's also in the justice league so i'm gonna read justice league too oh well now that i'm reading justice league i really like green lantern so i'm also going to read the two green lantern titles that are out there and then like it webs out green lantern will have a crossover (laughs) that like features like i don't know the flash or somebody it's like oh i really like the flash too and next thing you know it's just like how am i spending like 40 dollars a week when these things are like two or three dollars i thought this was a cheap a cheap hobby but it's not (laughs) well and i i think everybody goes through that you know they go through that period where they start buying all of that company or a lot of that company you know they buy all the annuals for the dc or they buy all the marvel annuals or whatever and there's that brief time when the company is really important to them you know it's like i'm in i'm into this universe or i'm into that universe Mm -hmm. And then, you know, what tends to happen is they, a lot of people grow out of that and they start thinking more about who's doing the writing on it, who's doing the art on it. And they start following the creators. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, and that's when they start finding, you know, what I consider more interesting things. You know, that's when they start going to Hellboy or they start going to, you know, Usagi Ujimbo or, you know, whatever it is, whatever the, the creative thing that they're following. And they really find some really cool stuff. Yeah, and uh, I mean, following creators, I think is definitely, like you said, that's the way most people end up after a while because you start to notice patterns because I think for a lot of people, I know it's it's definitely me in the beginning, there were certain characters that I was like, yeah, I don't know if I would ever read, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe an Aquaman book or whatever it might be. And then after a while, it was like, you know, oh, I love Jeff Johns. I'll read anything that he does. And then sure, <laughs> sure enough, like Jeff Johns got me to buy an Aquaman book for a couple of years yeah, and, yeah. and it was really good. So it's like, and, and that's really good too, because it also makes you like open up your, you know, your mind a little bit to different characters that you're maybe not as familiar with. And because I mean, at the, at the end of the day, if you buy Spider-Man for 20 years, you know, that character there's not really, I mean, even if you bring a pretty good creator on most of the time, they're not really going to do too much that you is really going to shock you, I guess. Right. You know? So it's good to like play in a different world after a while, you know? Well, and I think what you're talking about, and it's something that I've only come to realize sort of recently is, you know, the, the majors are less of a creative driven and they're more of an editorial driven. So the editor is given a lot more control. So that's why Spider-Man, whoever he's written by, there's some variance, but it's ultimately... Spider-Man feels like Spider-Man because editorial controls it so much. Oh, for sure. You know, whereas, you know, if you have much more creative control, the creator makes it into something new. So, you know, sometimes when you have a Batman, they give so much control to the creative creators who are doing it that Batman feels completely different. Mm Hmm. I think, well, I mean, obviously when you're, when you're writing or drawing for the big two, you're you're playing in a shared universe that has to operate within its own continuity. So I mean, you can't you can't be writing, you know, a Daredevil and have something going crazy that affects the other books if those other books aren't doing that same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, there's there, there's pros and cons to both. I mean, what what the indie comics thing has done is amazing that they have been able to just when you look at books like the walking dead and saga and stuff that have been able to do just insane things that we've never seen before that mm-hmm. stuff that would never fly in a, in a marvel or a dc book right so I, it's it's more that's the great thing about comics at this point it's just kind of a pick your poison kind of thing there's really good stuff out there from every company it's just more right. so what are you looking for Exactly. And and the great thing about it is whatever you're looking for, you can probably find now, which hasn't always been the case. Oh, yeah. I, there's I'm, so much content out there now. Yeah. There's a comic out there for uh, for everybody. I'm I'm like 100% on that. I mean, yeah. it's like any any genre you can think of. They, there's something out there for you. I'd be shocked if you couldn't find <laughs> anything. Right. You know, and, and any genre that you have, there's at least five of those books. And, you know, one of them is probably really good. For sure. Yeah. Do you have like a like a go to like favorite comic of all time? Like when people are like this is my you know like my favorite book that the one that you kind of go back to and reread fairly regularly. Oh, you know, uh, so the one that I go to 
is a little one. So I, I'm a bit of an Alan Moore freak. I, I've read just about everything that he's written. Okay. And okay. The, the one that I love is a book he did for Rob Weefield called Supreme, which... Yep, Supreme. It, yeah, it was a love letter to classic Superman. And yep. it was unlike anything I've ever read before or since. And, you know, I, I love it to this day. That that's really cool actually because like Supreme is a book I feel like a lot of people were aware of back in the day but you haven't really heard anybody mention in a long time. Mary, I don't know. Right. Are you are you familiar with Supreme? No, you never talked about okay. it. Okay. Yes, Supreme was very much <laughs> like Images Superman. Oh, okay. For a little while that the Alan yeah. Moore wrote in what was probably like the late 90s, mid to late 90s. Gotcha. Yeah, so like 96 to 98. Yeah. It, it, the the more honest truth is it's it's almost more like Alan Moore's like middle finger to DC like I won't write your Superman, I'll go write this <laughs> other guy's Superman. Um because that's just Alan Moore and that's kind of, you know, how he is. Um I mean Alan Moore, he's you know, one of the great comic writers of our time. Yeah. Mhm. Um, I, I, it's really cool to see you uh, shout out a book like Supreme too, especially when we're talking about Alan Moore, because like obviously books like V for Vendetta and Watchmen and stuff have been shouted out to death and the killing joke oh, and everything yeah. like that, which, which are all, you know, great books. I think, you know, Watchmen's one of the greatest things ever put together, but it's just nice to see like one of the more deep cuts, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, one of the things that, that I found by, by following his career was, you know, by the nineties, he was, kind of tired of that that gritty grim take on superheroes which is but kind of his had, fault though like he kind of he yeah. kind of helped start that <laughs> oh absolutely but well that was the thing was he sort of saw supreme as his chance to sort of make apologies for it and bring back you know happy fun stories and and cool stories and imaginative stories and stories that weren't going to make you hate all the superheroes and, yeah you know that was one one of the things that we talked about when we were when we were talking about Miskatonic High was, you know, we don't want to do a horror story that's going to be grim and gritty and, you know, you're just you're going to walk away from it and need a shower. We want to do something that's really fun and imaginative with ideas and stuff that's just gonna, you know, you're going to want to reread it again and again because it is so much fun. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny because like even Alan Moore, like even when he did his like his actual take on superman when he did like the mm-hmm. whatever happened to the man of tomorrow and stuff like even that's like a very dark and like depressing version of superman oh yeah lana lang gets you know incinerated it's terrible it's it, i mean it's a great book but it's yeah you know i didn't know that i, I don't think you've ever read that either <laughs> huh? I don't spoiler. Think so. <laughs> yeah. spoiler no i know i know you've read for the man who has everything that one i know you've read alan moore superman yeah which is well that's what that's one of my favorites because again you look at it and that might be my favorite single issue comic book of all time did i read it or did i watch the justice league episode maybe (laughs) maybe i mean the the justice league episode's pretty accurate to the comic right or maybe you watch the supergirl episode or maybe you watch some other episode yeah we've done it a few times yeah i mean it's so good i mean you just want to keep going back to that well yeah But, I mean, if you go back and you look at it, you know, Superman is having a birthday and, you know, Batman and Wonder Woman are bringing him gifts at the Fortress of Solitude. You know, it was really, he loved superheroes at that time, you know, but. He wasn't as bitter the, then. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, but it was, it was like the 60s superheroes. It was the Silver Age superheroes where. Pre-crisis. They were friend, yeah. friends with each other and they weren't having psychological issues and, you know. All of these things, they could just be friends with each other and bring each other gifts and celebrate each other's birthday parties. And, you know, it's that was there was a brief moment in Alan Moore's period where he wasn't pissed off at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really and, great, and, too, because it like that's it's uh, for the man who has everything is Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. And it's right before Watchmen. It's like it's like uh, it, it, it's the same year. It's 1985, but it's like right before Watchmen came out. So it was like the last thing they did before they went all gritty and angry. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I, I imagine for the man who has everything, it's probably the last thing that Dave Gibbons drew before Watchmen. I would, I mean, Alan Moore probably wrote some stuff in between, but I think that's got to be the last thing that Gibbons drew before he started Watchmen. Yeah, so, it certainly feels like it. Yeah, because I know they you were know, like right it, there. But it's so weird because that's probably the thing he did right before Watchmen and the thing that he did right after Watchmen is a killing joke and you can just see how everything has completely changed. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he he, he 
became a different person. And I think through writing Watchmen, but I mean, the world's a better place for it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it certainly is, you know, the, the thing about Watchmen is, you know, it's so nuanced. It's so detail oriented. It's an amazing thing, but it's so waste with, with just a feeling of being sick of this world of, you know, just so pessimistic that, uh, you know, I I love Watchmen. I've read Watchmen a lot of times, but I'm, and it's a I'm hard just, book to read too. I mean, it, yeah, it really just, is. It's 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 like draining to read. Right. Yeah, I'm just kind of Watchmened out. You know, I'm a V for Vendetta <laughs> out. I, I I don't I don't want grim and gritty superheroes anymore. I want fun, happy superheroes that are still cool and have a lot of ideas and do interesting things. I don't. I'm not looking for simplistic stories, but I want it to be fun i want to i want to enjoy these people yeah for sure i and i there's i think there's definitely a large a large group of people that that feel that way and have felt that way for quite a while i think by the time the 90s ended everybody was so over the extreme the overly violent superheroes were like can we just get back to like saving the day and stuff (laughs) and like yeah maybe smile a little bit while you do it too you know yeah well and you can see it a lot now i mean look at you know no matter what you think of them, all the Marvel heroes that are coming out now, you know, they're fun books. They're, they're jokey books. They're, Definitely. you like the characters. You can really see that, you know, what Moore was trying to, to rebel against even back in the nineties was eventually what we got to today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So Miskatonic Kai is, is a comic that you created with you, with your buddy, you mentioned earlier. So, um, Let's let's I guess kind of go to the beginning of you know you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier of what you guys were kind of trying to do where where did this begin what was kind of the the influences for it and how did it kind of get started? Sure. So uh, Ryan is the artist on the book. He's the co-creator with me. And we it's a really were... gorgeous looking book, by it the way. So he's, he's very good. Oh, he is so good. It, it, yeah, I I the you know the luckiest i've been is that he signed on to 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 work with me and you know that made my job you know 10 times easier um so we were we were talking we had done some fan stuff um before some fan fiction things like that on on characters we didn't know and we just said you know look we we think we're doing things that are good enough that we could probably sell them and people would probably read them but we got to own our own characters and we started talk, talking about what we wanted to do. You know, I was throwing out superheroes again, like Supreme, like those sorts of things. And he was talking about doing more of a horror book. And I hadn't really considered it. But, you know, the great thing about horror is you can do anything in horror and get away with it. Oh, yeah. You can, you can be jokey in horror and get away with it. You can be serious in horror and get away with it. You can do science fiction in horror and get away with it. You can do psychological horror and, and get away with it. You can it's a very do versatile genre. Yeah, it really, it just, you know, it, you can get away with anything. So, yeah, so so the more I thought about it, the more it sounded great. And he is a bigger H.P. Lovecraft fan than I am, but I've been slowly getting into it. And we were talking back and forth, and he's like, you know, I want to do something about, like, a weird school. You know, like Miskatonic University from Lovecraft, but, like, high school. And so I said, you know, Miskatonic High. And... If, so, really bore you. Miskatonic in Lovecraft was the name of the university, but it's based upon a real place out in Massachusetts called the Housatonic, okay. which is a river. And that's where I lived growing up for a number of years. And I was like, yeah, I know exactly where, what Lovecraft was writing about. I know exactly where he was writing about. It's an interesting place. Why don't we do that? Why don't we set an interesting school out there and we'll just do that. Mm-hmm. How how really cool. uh, how long ago is this, by the way, when you guys are first just talking about doing it? Mm, this would probably wait 2017 because I think the early okay. sketches he dated them 2017. So okay, that's when we so started really not that long ago. No, it it came quick, and you know we we settled on once we settled on the log line, it pretty much summed up exactly what we wanted to do, which is you know. You know, five teens take on the monsters of H.P. Lovecraft and their small town high school, and they're just not sure which one is worse. And, you know, that that was it, because, you know, you think about Lovecraft and you think about these horrible creatures. And the point of Lovecraft's horror is it's all sort of existential that, 
you know, the creatures don't care about humanity one way or the other. They just want to eat you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that sort of summed up my high school experience. So, you know, I thought the two sort of went together. It mixes well. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because, I mean, if you think about it, you know, the people who hate high school, it's like you're completely powerless. There's all these monsters roaming around that you can't do anything about. And you're sort of stuck there, which, you know, again, it sounds like a horror title. Yeah. (laughs) So you guys come up with the idea and then and then you guys decide to to kickstart it pretty early then? No. So we did again, we did six issues. We pitched it to a number of publishers, and I'm really? not sure any of the publishers actually looked at anything before mm-hmm. sending out their form letters. And so then we were talking, you know, what are we going to do? Are we just going to put it out there as a webcomic? You know, we can do this, we can do that. And then we decided, you know what, let's just kickstart it and see what happens. And, you know, we did the first one expecting, again, maybe 15 people would like it. Maybe we'd get enough to do a small run. And it kind of went nuts. <laughs> Did, did the first one fund really well, really quickly, too? Uh, it fully funded, I want to say, in like two days. Oh, jeez, nice. yeah. Yeah, and we ended up, again, we ended up near, I think, near 400 people on the first one and made, you know, it, it ended up at like $4,000. Again, it was what we were thinking about. We were thinking, you know, maybe 15 people, maybe maybe if we got lucky, 50 people. And maybe we'd get up to a thousand dollars, and it just completely blew us away. Got what, 400 what think, fans. <laughs> yeah. What do you think it is about it that you know? Do, do you think you guys? I mean, did you guys push it really hard on social media or anything, or just good word of mouth and stuff? What do you think it is that that got it there? You know, that took it off so quickly before people had even got to read it. Well, you know, think about what you why you pick up a comic book. So one, you look at the art. Does the art look cool? You you. You look at the concept, does the concept sound cool, you know, and then, you know, maybe you've, you've heard some social media, maybe you've seen some reviews, maybe you've seen whatever, but yeah, you know, again, you know, I'm not kidding when I say that, you know, having Ryan on board this comic, the art looks fantastic from the very beginning. It really does. It really does. You know, so that attracted a lot of people. And then, you know, just the concept, there's a lot of people out there who are really into Lovecraft right now. But they also want it with a twist. You know, that's that's what we wanted to present was not straight up Lovecraft, you know, dark, you know, tentacles, whatever. Yeah. yeah. We want we wanted it to be funny. We want to have fun with it. And you know, the idea of high school kids doing it and that really the, the Lovecraft monsters might not be the worst thing in their life, you know, I think just stuck with people and, and it really latched on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for myself, I actually looked. Uh, I looked it up when you uh, emailed us, and I looked up your Kickstarters, and I read through kind of your description that you had. I'm like, oh my gosh, this sounds like a fun horror book that it, just a fun ride. And so then I read, I binged all three, uh, read them, <laughs> read them in like an hour, uh, mm-hmm. all three of them, and I just I fell in love. I'm just like, this is my kind of story. I love this. Right. You and know, then she and, went and pledged to issue four. Yes. I oh, did you? Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we I was just writing up a thing for it. And, you know, one of the things that drives me bonkers about comics, because I read a lot of them, is there are a lot of writers who rely on either the art to look really cool or the concepts to be really cool, that they don't bother writing characters who are very deep they don't really find out who their characters are Mm -hmm. you know it's like our character is an archaeologist what more do you need to know yeah um you know and and that's lazy writing (laughs) yeah it that drives me crazy it's like you know my view of horror is i'm gonna i'm gonna make you care about these characters and you're gonna be wondering why i'm showing you you know their home life and you're gonna be wondering why i'm showing you them hanging out with their friends but by the time the monsters show up you're going to care for these characters so much. You don't want to see them get eaten. You're going to follow them wherever they go. Yeah. And that's kind of the trick. You, you, you develop these characters and you like these characters that you don't, you don't want to see them get eaten. And that's the secret of good horror is caring about the characters more than you care about the monsters. You know, it's, it's so funny that you say that, that there's a, there's a a series that we shout out, on mm-hmm. here all the time from IDW called Lock and Key. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah, ab- okay. absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I figured you were. Most people are by this point. But um, mm-hmm. 
that's I mean, that's probably Mary's favorite comic of all yep. time. It's it's probably my favorite non-superhero comic of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way you were describing that, that's that's exactly what it made me think of. Because I mean, Lock and Key is very supernatural and horror based, but it's it's so much more about the kids in that right. book that you're, you're rooting for them as a character more so than anything else. It's not necessarily about any of the the horror stuff that's going on like you that's not what your priorities are you're you, you you care about those characters especially because joe hill does such a good job over the long form of the of the six trades letting you know who they are as people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i don't know that yeah. wh- when you said that that was the first thing i thought of because it's like that is that's that's the way to i mean character driven stuff has always been more to my taste anyways right and, you know, the the nice thing, again, is, you know, for, for Miskatonic High is, again, the secret weapon is, is Ryan on this. Because what he does is he spends all his time just drawing monsters. And so, you know, when I say I need a tentacle monster, he's like, oh, yeah, I got one of those. Or <laughs> when I say, you know, I'm going to need something that's like a devolved rat thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got that. You know, and he draws the monster is so amazing that there are these cool visuals. But at the same time, you can also look at all the interactions that he's doing with the kids and they're real characters. And you can see in the background that they're having real lives, even when they're not talking. And it's just that versatility of being able to shift between the horror and the very normal. That is, that's the key to this. And like you said, you know, in, in lock and key and in Miskatonic high, both, if you can, if you can master that, you've got a good series on your hands. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's just the key to like, I mean, any any form of storytelling. I mean, especially with with indie books, though, because you don't have the brand to fall back on, right? Um, so, I mean, you really need to develop really good, likable characters that people want to root, want to come back to, yeah. Right. So well, and and you know, that's you know, I'm going to tell you, you know, as a writer. You know, you don't sit there saying, God, you know, I, I want to write something that's going to be really popular and I don't care what's in it. What you really say is, you know, man, high school sucked and it sucked for me and it sucked for other people, but it sucked in different ways. You know, for some kids, they were just picked upon the whole time. And so I could write a character about that. And for some kids, they were popular kids and people didn't understand why they weren't happy. And I could write about that, you know, and it's less about trying to create a successful series and more about trying to write about the things that you want to write about. Yeah. And, and you pray to God that once you get it down on paper, that people will respond to it the way that you do. And, you know, we got lucky, you know, because people have responded really well to what we, we put out there. I mean, it's gotta be important for you, obviously as a writer to write something that's fulfilling to you creatively. I mean, like you said, you could, just put some, you know, half-assed thing out there, but that's not really going to tickle any of those creative, you know, muscles for you. Right. You know, and, and but again, at the same token, you know, I'm, I'm making it sound like it's a, a, a slice of life book when, you know, halfway in, you know, you got a tentacle monster chasing after a bunch of kids and you got a talking cat who's telling the kids that, you know, they're going to die at any moment. You know, w- the fun part is you got all this normal stuff, but then you can go completely bonkers with it, which is, you know, what we like doing as well. Do you think like, like there, I don't know, there's part of me that wonders if like, there's not really ever been a better time for something like this than now, because it feels like there really is something about the weird right now that people just enjoy. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of these concepts I think in not only just comics, but TV and movies that would have never worked 15, 20 years ago that for some reason people are willing to buy now because people are just into the off the wall weirder stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think well, I, something absolutely. like Stranger yeah. Things on Netflix is something that's like that would have never been on TV 20 years ago. You well, know? and and think about it, you know, I think about it this way is, you know, 10 or 15 years ago horror was looked at, at as like this B thing that that, you know, weirdos would watch at three in the morning on you know cable channels or whatever and it was considered cheap (laughs) yeah right yeah but you know but something happened and you know like scream came along and people started you know watching horror and the sixth sense came along and people started taking horror seriously and you know so we have a whole generation of people who have come up since then that don't look at horror as cheap they look at 
look at it as not just a valid thing, but also a nostalgic thing. You know, they, they look back to the movies they watched as a kid. You know, they look back to the 80s. They look back to the 90s. They look back to those things. And they loved it then, and they want to love it now. And it's like there's a whole blooming of, of horror as an accepted, you know, genre now. Yeah. I think you hit it on the head with, like, The Sixth Sense because, like, I think a lot of horror movies up to that point, it was more, like, specific moments. Like, people like, oh, it scared me so bad when blank happened. But, like, a movie like The Sixth Sense is, like, just really good horror writing. Like, there's not really moments, per se, in The Sixth Sense. Like, oh, this moment is so scary in The Sixth Sense. It's more like you have to take the movie as a whole and it's the way that the story is written that makes that movie work. It's not shock value. It's not jump scares or anything like that it's more like psychological than anything well right and you know it's it you look at it and it's the mother caring about her kid who's not normal and again they ground it so well in the character that when all the psychological and the ghost and everything happens you're so into the characters you will follow that story wherever it goes great performances help also but yeah um, i mean i i mean m night Shyamalan got to launch a career off that movie and people still talk about that movie because you know i think obviously the the twist ending and stuff like that i mean it's something that people remember having an impact <laughs> on them when they mm-hmm. saw it the first time and and it's a movie that the, the crappy thing about a movie like that is i don't know how well it works on you know multiple watches but i mean definitely the sixth sense the first time you watch it is is an experience for sure yeah but you know you start watching it for different things like the second and third time you know like the first time you're watching it and you're trying to figure out the twist and then the second time you're watching it you're like oh i know exactly what's coming and then like the third or fourth time you start watching other things like i i think it's tony collette who's who's the mom in that and she's so good at that because you know as a parent myself you worry about your kids so much and if your kids started talking about ghosts and seeing dead people oh yeah like like, what do you do with that like how do you deal with that how do you handle that yeah (laughs) yeah you know and so that's what i watch it for for starters yeah (laughs) yeah exactly you you stop letting them watch horror movies um (laughs) you know but but yeah so it's stuff like that that really makes a movie if if you have all those layers in it you will find a reason to return to that movie if it's just one layer where it's just you know something scary happens or there's a twist that happens you know if it's Blair Witch you're not going to go back and watch it again but if there's more layers to it yeah you you'll definitely go back and watch it definitely I I definitely think like especially and I'm not you know a writer or anything like like you are, but I mean, I, I think if as a writer, it's probably more interesting to watch movies like that the second, third, fourth time because once you know what's happening, you start to look for like, okay, where does he kind of like lay the groundwork for this? Oh, okay, I see how he set that up now, and you, and like th- there's something to kind of learn from that, right? Right, absolutely, and you know, you can learn about the overt stuff about twists and things like that, but the other thing you know, sort of people pick up uh, on is start pick up on themes and start pick up on foreshadowing and start pick up on all those things you learned in high school that, you know, you wrote down in your notebook and then promptly forgot about, you know, as when you do writing, you start applying those things again and you see them in your own work and you start figuring out how to push them to the forefront. You know, uh, um, we haven't really talked about the third episode, but the third issue, but it's all about watching and that was kind of the theme is there's this girl who likes to be on social media and she likes to be watched and that's the theme of the whole issue is no matter what's going on it's about being watched watched. and either not liking being watched or wanting to be watched and yeah if you if you go through it you start to see the stuff and you know it's one of those things as a writer you write the first version of the script and you think oh yeah this is great and then you go back and you write it again and you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then you go back a third time and you're like, oh, well, this could be better. And you just apply these layers and layers until you're really happy with it. And it's something more than just a twist. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the episodes, I don't know how much you want to get into um, into them because 
spoilers, obviously. Maybe people wouldn't <laughs> want those. Yeah, I didn't want to sure. get too much into it because I was hoping, you know, I want to pump people to go back and, and read the the previous three. Yeah, so definitely, like, uh, let the let the people know, you know, give them your pitch, kind of what the story's about, what they can expect, uh, and the fourth issue coming up. Oh, okay, yeah. So, uh, well, let me just do brief recaps. It's a loaded question. He's anything. like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So our our first issue, we really just introduced the kids, um, you know, and sort of threw them into the world and and found out that the world is a lot more than they expected. The second issue is about one specific girl and the things that the the buried secrets in her life from her family that that she never really knew about. I really like the second one. Yeah, I I am very partial to that one myself. (laughs) Um and then the third one was about, again, the girl on social media who it's important to be watched and be seen. And then so now we're on the fourth one. So I, I, so what we have done is for the first six issues or so is we focused one issue on one kid to really figure out who those that kid is and really let you see who they are and find out who they are. And But so each story is different depending on the kid. So... You know, the one who was being watched is much more of a almost a stalker story. Mm-hmm. The one of the girl with the buried secrets is it's much more of a an underground sort of story. And so the fourth one is about um, our sort of good looking athletic kid who's a hockey player. And, you know, everything seems to come easy to him. And, you know, it's it's a, it's a pulp uh, adventure story. You know, it's it's. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. He, they fall into a hollow earth world. So think like the savage land or something like that. Oh, and that's how the dinosaurs come in. Okay. <laughs> and that's how the dinosaurs come in. So he, so they land in this world of druids versus dino people things. And they have to figure out how the heck to get out of there. And it's, you know, it's just craziness on top of craziness on top of craziness and you know then the diesel punk showed up and you know hey why not throw in a tank um (laughs) so and so it's completely crazy and but it's it's like a hockey game you never know what's going to happen and it happens fast all right i'm i'm really excited for that fourth issue (laughs) (laughs) it sounds interesting to say the least yeah it's it's completely nuts we we had done three horror stories and we wanted to do something very different and, you know, we had been talking about Lovecraft and old weird tales, you know, from the, the 20s and 30s. And, you know, it wasn't all horror and cosmic entities and things like this. You know, they would throw in, um, you know, uh, a John Carter of Mars, you know, sort of stories where it was just, you know, craziness happened. It was Conan. It was, um, you know, Tarzan. It was those kinds of stories. And we wanted to just do something like that. And so we thought, yeah, OK, why not? Fun. Oh, that sounds so much fun. So what's kind yeah. of the goal here uh, with Miskatonic High? You guys said you did six issues basically already before you had kickstarted it. So is the plan to kickstart the first six issues and then kickstart a trade paperback at some point? Exactly. So the the sixth issue sort of wraps up. The, we call them seasons. You know, it's going to be the first season. It's going to be the first six issues. And okay. it wraps up this story. It wraps up uh, some of the stories pretty nicely. So... Yeah, we're going to do a trade paperback then. And, you know, we, we've already done three issues of the second season. We're already up to, I'm writing issue 11 now, and he's done art through nine. So, oh, wow. nice. Yeah, so, so just going to so, keep this train rolling. Well, here's the thing is, I'm you know, it, it. So, it sounded like a great idea to do like a short story, you know, do six issues and do a trade and then, you know, move on to a different series. But, you know, it's we have the whole universe of all of Lovecraft's writings, plus whatever else we want to throw into it. And just the more and more we dug into it, the more we realized, you know what, we could just do whatever we want, basically from this, as long as we want. And so we started coming up with bigger ideas that we want to get to eventually. And, you know, the 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 sort of touchstone for both of us coming up that sort of legitimized horror for us was tv it was the x-files and so that's sort of a touchstone for us in this which is you know you have your monsters of the week episodes but then you also have your mythology episodes and it all sort of links it together and that's sort of what we're doing is we we want to do each 
issue a single story, you know, that's completely different, a completely different sort of monster of the week. And it can be any kind of horror story we would want. And then, you know, there's going to be these themes that these threads that you sort of pick up and you realize, oh, there's a bigger story here. I think um, I think you're you're 100 percent right, though. You guys just with the foundation that you guys have kind of set up with this world and stuff, it is pretty limitless on what you guys can do. The, this story can go kind of anywhere you want it to. You're not really limited in any way by like. Oh well, there's only so much story out of that you guys can really kind of milk out of this. It's it's a pretty you know it's a pretty big big universe to play in. Yeah, you know, and and like I said, one of the nice things about it is, you know, we have issues that are very very funny, and then we have issues that are very very dark, and we like playing with the differences in tone that that it can be all these different kinds of things. It can be funny, it can be silly, it can be dark, it can be psychological, it can be ghost, it can be monsters it can be gods it can be it can be anything and that's really the joy of the series is you know it's it's really limitless that's that's great um so i want to let anybody you know out there that wants to check these out i I know the first two issues are on comiXology is there do you guys have like a website that they can pick up the, the first three issues if they're not you know on board with this yet yeah absolutely so so they can go to the kickstarter um and do that we have a website called MiskatonicHighComic.com, which we have the digital as well as you can buy physical comics from. We are on Comixology. We're on Comic Central. So, yeah, there's there's a number of places you can find us. And, guys, that first issue on Comixology is only $0.99. Cents. So if you guys really you know think this is something that you might be interested in, pay 99 cents and go read that first issue and you know make your judgment call after that but i mean at, at 99 cents how much of a risk are you really taking yeah 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 we really didn't want to give people any excuse not to do it you know we're we're kind of heartless that way <laughs> it's i mean it's a it's a great uh mold though i love when when comics do that you know the first issue or like image has a thing they do that i love where they a lot of times the first trades are usually 9.99 which is like mm-hmm. insane. And then like, you know, by the time you get to volume two or three, they kind of go up to about normal price. But the, the, to have a nine ninety nine trade for a volume one, I think is a huge seller. Right. So, well, I mean, and, yeah, entice people. Well, and you know, the thing about it is, you know, we're kind of a very niche sort of comic. You know, we are a Lovecraft-based horror comic with high school students that's funny, but also dark, a little slice of life, some drama, some pathos tossed in. You know, I, I don't know. Like, the audience could be 15 people. It could be 1,500 people. So, you know, we sort of figure throw the first one out there. People will get a good sense of what it is and if they want to, you know, learn more. And, you know, if they do, great. And if not, you know, as I said, there's tons and tons of comics out there that are great right now that I'm sure they're going to find one that they like. <laughs> And even if they hate your writing, the pictures are pretty. <laughs> right, you know, like you know, that's what that's what my mom basically said. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we let you get out of here, man, is there anything you want to leave people with, and what kind of uh, appearances or or cons or anything you guys are going to be doing in the near future? So yeah, I have yet to do a con. I'm I'm kind of petrified of it. Um, I've been told that it's a lot of fun. That I would that be it's petrified a thing to too. do. Well, yeah, I mean, you're you know, basically but, selling yourself, man. To, to yeah. table at a con, it is a little bit nerve-wracking because, I mean, you got to go sell yourself to people. Right. You know, if if I was going to write the horror story of my life, that would pretty much be it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, no, uh, I've talked about doing them. So I'm in the, the Washington, D.C. area. So we have a couple of cons around here that are big ones. There's the Baltimore con. That's pretty big. Oh, um, yeah. and, and then there's a lot of smaller regional ones that I can do. So. I'm I'm thinking of starting a smaller at a smaller regional one and just work my way up. But you know, I I haven't done it yet. I you know uh, I have little kids, so finding free time is kind of a challenge. It's hard. But, yeah. We hear you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, them to you work, know, man. Help them <laughs> r- help. Have them help you run the booth. Yeah, I was thinking of hiring them to do uh, uh, fulfillment for me. You know, they can stuff envelopes, but you know, they they look at the stamps and they think they're stickers. The next thing I know, they're all over their room. Oh no! <laughs> and those are expensive stickers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah some of them are. Um, but yeah, so you know, and 
again, we're doing the, the issues every two months. So that means we're starting a Kickstarter, ending a Kickstarter, doing fulfillment and starting another Kickstarter awesome. pretty much constantly. So, uh, you know, finding time to break that schedule is, is kind of tough. But I also kind of wanted to wait until we had, you know, the issues out, the trade out. You know, I, I've done some surveys of, of other creators who go out there. And one of the things that they say is, you know, people, some people want to buy floppies, but a lot of people want to buy that trade, you know, to get a good chunk of story. Yeah, yeah so, I think when you guys have a trade out, that'd be a good time for sure. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. So, yeah. So, I mean, we're working our way up there. You know, we are a very small indie. You know, that's just the two of us. Our, Ryan does all the art. He does all the coloring. You know, I do the writing. I do the lettering. You know, that's it. It's just the two of us. So, it's a very small scale operation. The The production quality is really, really, really quite good though, considering yeah. you, you wouldn't guess that it, these are just two people doing this together. You know, it, it feels like it's a whole team together on this book especially the lettering you if you did the lettering you did pretty good on those letters so which i mean lettering is hard a lot of people don't realize that like it it, a lot of people think like oh that's just the people that put the boxes on there it's like yeah but there's a there's an art form to lettering yeah i've read some i read some stories where the lettering wasn't very good and i'm like well i guess i'll just suffer through this (laughs) (laughs) good lettering's hard to come by that's why a lot of people when they get letters they like they keep them around yeah, really. You know, and it's one of the things I was talking to somebody who was submitting some comics to, to, to Image. And what they said is the number one thing that Image will send back to creators they even want to work with is, you know, you got to go hire a real letter. Yeah, I, I, I believe that because yeah. it's one of those things that like I don't think the common fan looks at too much. But like certainly professionals and publishers, I mean, they really look at lettering and they, they expect a, a, a quality for yeah. sure. Well, and I think I think Mary's right about it. You know, you don't think about it until you find bad lettering, and then it's like, oh God, I have to suffer through this. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, I have a I have a background in graphic design, so I, you know, it's one of those things where I was like, oh wait, this is a cool new way to play with fonts and colors and you know things in uh, uh, Adobe Illustrator and Adobe Photoshop, and it's like, oh, this is got to be cool. So I I thought of it as like a fun challenge. Have you guys uh, got? Miskatonic High in any of your guys's like local comic shops and anything? Are they carrying it? No, no, nothing like that. I'm actually I've been trying to hit up my local newspaper to do a story on us, and so I was like, yeah, oh. yeah, you know, you want to do a story on us because we're doing a comic book, and they're like, we're the Washington Times. Why do we care what? <laughs> oh, you really, Turn. you really should take some copies into maybe some for your local shops and stuff, man. I bet a lot of them would probably at least carry a couple copies for you guys. Yeah, you know, uh, I was talking to, again, there's there's a nice community on ComicCentral.com um, of, of really small-scale indies. And so they did a, a great story recently where they surveyed, like, um, uh, brick-and-mortar stores to ask about, you know, how they how they decide which comics to buy, you mm-hmm. know, to, to stock and things like that. And almost all of them said that they will not stock any indies. That's really? crazy. I mean, I guess yeah, it just depends I, on know, the store. Hmm. I, yeah, I, no, it's, I, it's worth I, it's worth pitching around though for sure. I no, think. A, a, absolutely. But you know the the thing about it that I've found is, you know, you you probably understand this too. Is you know when you have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of resources, you sort of figure what's going to get me the biggest bang for the buck. Yeah, certainly. You know, and you know, especially when I, it's your I, livelihood and you're trying to run a business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's, you know, it's cool. And I would love to get into comic book stores and I would love to sell locally and I would love to sell a couple issues. But, you know, again, doing Kickstarters every two months, you're you're banging these things out and you're yeah. you're you're selling comics to 500 people. It's, you know, you be, it becomes a question of, you know, where am I putting my resources to really push this? Your For resources sure. need to be put into that Kickstarter that is clearly making you money and making you be able to do this more. So, yeah. Right. And, you know, the thing about it is, you know, I, I, I don't want to talk about it cynically, but, you know, Kickstarter has really given indie creators the tools and the ability to reach a market, which it's changed think, everything. Yeah. Yeah, if you think about 20 years ago, if you were an indie comic, you were selling two copies to the local, you know, brick and mortar store. You mm-hmm. were selling, you were you were doing a mail order of 15 people and now you really have the opportunity to get out there and find people. You know, I send 
you know, 25, 50 copies to Germany. I, you know, I didn't even know that Germans liked American high schools. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you find this whole other audience and, you know, it's, it's such a powerful tool that, you know, you see creators come up on it and you see them, you know, doing this thing. And next thing you know, they've done two or three Kickstarter series and now they're working for Boom Studios and, now they're doing something, you know, they're doing a little thing for Marvel. And, you know, it's it's completely changed the way the comic industry works for people. And, you know, it's it's such a powerful tool. You sort of figure out, okay, you know, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it seriously. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Mike, I just want to thank you so much, man, for taking the time to come chat with us and not only talk about Miskatonic High, but talk about some other stuff. I feel like... Uh, we're on a good wave. Like we could probably talk comics all day. <laughs> Are you kidding? You know anybody who un- who actually knows Supreme? I'm like, this is my heaven. Oh yeah, I mean that that caught me off guard quite a bit because it's just like, oh man, that's not that's not one that gets shouted out very often. So that that's actually really cool. But uh, yeah, thank you so much, man, for for coming and joining the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for letting me on. This was so much fun. Well, I mean, I uh, wish you guys all the luck in the world and and we'll be behind you and backing you now that we're aware and yes. now that we're on board. And uh, maybe one, maybe once you guys launch the uh, the Kickstarter for the trade, uh, maybe we can get you back on here and we'll we'll do this again and, and pump the trade. Well, absolutely. You know, I, I hear somebody uh, uh, over there backs us. So, you know, I, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep them happy. That's right. There you go, man. One one at a time, right? Whatever it takes. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Cool. Well, guys, make sure you guys check out Miskatonic High. We'll post all of the uh, the links and stuff for the yes. Kickstarters and everything. Even though they are fully funded, they got some stretch goals and stuff that I'm sure they'd love to hit. So if you want to go get in on this, do that. We'll also post the link for the uh, for the uh, the website as well, so you can go by the previous ones. As I said, if you're a digital guy, they're also on Comixology. Um, So we'll do all of that and make sure you guys go check all that out. Until next time, my name is Tyler. I'm Mary. And we will see you guys around.